welcome to the God is not an asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your hosts, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. We are here, Carrie and I, with Mickey Morelli, a longtime friend. Um, how old would you say you were when, when we met? I want to say eight or, eight or nine. Wow. <laughs> Which means I was probably around 28 or nine. Really? Yeah. So... Um. Yeah, it was about eight or nine, and I just turned 50 in June. Well, okay, wow. so then I was even younger because I'm 68, so I was yeah. probably 27 or something. Whoa. <laughs> and you you were a student, and I was a teacher, and it was a Christian school, and a a lifestyle where we met some beautiful people, but we're all recovering um, or uh, just uh, experiencing, you know, more complete life um, post um, whatever that was. And we still have a few friends uh, from that period. But anyway, I know your parents. I, I knew them then. And your name, Morelli, is, you know, it says a lot. I mean, you have, you know, you have Italian in you and you are a Latina as well, right? Yeah, and actually I'm British too because my mom's mom was from um, Devonshire. Whoa. Yeah. My mom's mixed, so. No, I didn't even know that. Wow. And actually, I don't know if you know that, um, my dad adopted me. He's not my birth father. Oh, oh. Well, this is news to me. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, people ask me, and I've been asked this before, I think I was four when he came in my life, around four, three or four. And I don't really have a lot of memories before him. So to me, him and my mom are equal. It lo- okay. You know, I mean, I don't right, have right. distinction between them because I can't remember before him. Yes. Because, you know, you're so little. Yeah. Ah, uh, the beauty of, a, of, of loving parents. Um, and yet, even loving parents cannot always protect one from life's traumas. Um, well, you know, and also, I always say this to my friends, um, they're only like 16 and 17 years older than me. 
Wow. Uh, I kind of remember them being being younger than me. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, let me just reflect with you. You know, I, I don't know everything that you had to deal with, but there are some specific events um, in our history that um, um, that I do remember. But I, I rather than starting with some of the things that I passed through with you, maybe you could just kind of share with us a bit of your story. I just wanted to say that it's a little bit funny. I have never listened to a podcast until I listened to yours. Aw. Well, Isn't that you. hilarious? <laughs> I mean, I'm just always so bad at technology and always the last at things. You know, I was the last person probably to have a BlackBerry before I went to iPhone. And I, you know, I'm just always kind of been like that. And I'm kind of outing myself because people have sent me tons of podcasts and I always heart them, but I never listen to them. <laughs> it's hard. Like how lovely. And then I never really get back to it or never but then when you sent me yours I was the first podcast and you have a I'm sorry um I, I know you said your name and can you Carrie Carrie uh, you have such a lovely soothing voice when I did listen Aww. to your guys's podcast I laid in bed and I just laid in the dark and I listened to the podcast Aww. but I just think it's kind of funny it's a little humorous Thank you. That is, that is being a guest <laughs> and then um, it was just funny because I'm like, what is the etiquette? Am I allowed to take a sip of water? Um, what if I have to sneeze? <laughs> <laughs> just do you. You're all just good. <laughs> over my, my usual overthinking of everything. <laughs> We're wow. very casual here. So please feel comfortable to do whatever you need to do. It's and, all good. And, and speaking of soothing voices, um, when you were young, I remember telling you that you reminded me of one of my I have four sisters mm -hmm. and one of them just has this gentle, soothing voice and she's tender hearted. And I just said, you remind me of my sister. But anyway, go ahead and you tell, tell us about Mickey. Well, it's, I just wanted, I remember that exact moment when you told me that I remember being um, downstairs. I call it the underground school. I don't think that was its proper name. Um, I can't remember the name. My parents probably do because they wrote the check, but I don't remember the proper name. I was just little. And I remember being, we, you were, I think, had to speak with me. <laughs> and we were in um, one of the little children's church rooms. I remember the exact room. Um, when you go under, yeah, you go down the hallway and then there's the stairs and then you go and it was on the right. It was the bigger one for the, um, for the, I think it was the smaller classroom. And I remember us sitting in there and I remember I was crying, like hyperventilating, crying, nothing from anything you did. But I remember you telling me, you're so sensitive. You remind me of your sister. And I remember that for years. And I remember that kindness from you. And you had so much empathy and you were such a safe person. In that time, it was intense. Like, if you didn't live it, the born again Christian, they came out. It was the tracks. It was the intense ministry. You know, it was some hardcore at times. It was like, you're going to do this, you're going to burn in hell. And when you're like a little kid and you're eight and you're nine and you're told that you are so sinful and you're, you know, disruptive. And all I knew is that I was a little girl 
And I love to listen to albums and I loved Amy Grant and I loved Keith Green and Reba Rambo and I loved Hello Kitty and I had sticker books. And I remember. And my best friend, Shannon. And it was just so intense. Like my eyes welled up and I felt a little sad at that time because I was, I just, we just passed notes and everything we did, it just, felt very like authority kind of thing. And always, I always felt like I was in trouble. I was always, but, and you always were the opposite of that, that message to me, because when you had to speak to me for, I don't know, whatever, maybe, I don't know what they had to, you were so kind and so gentle and you always came in love. And that was so powerful for me. You'll, I mean, I think I wrote you a letter years ago. And I don't know if I found it out right. And then I also have like, I didn't find out till like almost college that I had dyslexia. So sometimes I leave out words or say things funny or silly and wrong. But I just hope that I gave you that message that how much you impacted me and how kind you were. And there were, you know, there were some not good men in my life, in, you know, when I was a child and, and you were a good one and you made me feel like not all men. (laughs) And, um, you know, I've had a lot of loss since 2016. I had three cousins I grew up with. I had a grandparent, the father of my child, um, died of cancer. I had, um, I remember one of my best friends die of cancer all with from 2016 on. And then 2020 hit. And, my son's father died in 2019 in October. And I had this thing. And I said, and I was in I was in aesthetics. I was an esthetician for over 20-something years. And all of a sudden, I remember driving down the hill from Serenity House. And I thought to myself, I can't ever do this one more day. I can't okay, be Let me just tell everybody that Serenity House is our hospice oh, place yeah. here in Santa Barbara. Okay, go ahead, Mickey. Oh yeah, and it's the most beautiful, lovely place. Yes, and and they do amazing work. And I always say, if I won the lottery, they would be getting a huge chunk of that money. Yeah. You know, to them, it's amazing. They don't turn people away, and it's just beautiful. And actually, I had my son's father and a, a cousin I grew up who passed within months of each other there. And um, I was driving down the hill. It was TV Hill, Tega Hill. And I, I just had this feeling, and I had done aesthetics for over 20-something years, and I always loved it, always had fun. It was amazing. I always thought, I have no stress in my job. I do, um, you know, it's fun. And I was driving home, and I thought, I can't do this one more day. I, I want to do something different. So that January, the lease was up at my place. I had a girl take over my thing, but I was done, and I haven't gone back. And then 2020 hit, nobody was working. And it was, I had to sit with 2020 and I had to sit in my grief. And it's interesting how grief brings up other griefs. And then I thought about what I had, what had transpired in my life. And as a little girl and how I never grieved any of that, I was indifferent and I was hiding and I was never still enough to feel it. So when 2020 hit, I was full of grief and I was full of grief of things that happened. And I had only begun to feel, I had gone through a lot of counseling, but I had only begun to feel. 
So the last few years have just been hard, but amazing at the same time. And I mean, if you want a director, ask me a question. Because maybe, I mean... What's it like when you start feeling emotions that you haven't felt um, all that time, right? I, I, I'm so resonating with everything that you're, you're saying. I've, I've had a very similar experience over the past few years, and including this morning. Um, <laughs> so I just like wondering, I'm curious to know what your experience is like, because I think that um, even work that I do with my clients, we, we all say, oh yeah, I dealt with that. I dealt with that a long time ago. Um, and yet here it is again, showing up um, until you actually feel it. So what, what is that like for you to actually feel? I think that I go through these likes. I think the best way to describe it for me and myself, and I, I know not everyone feels this way. And I know that some people can get triggered and I said, oh, I felt this way. And they may have had same pain and they get upset. Well, I don't, you know, and this is, I'm just speaking for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, did I go through these cycles where I become extremely angry and I get upset and I think of a certain person and it's interesting how memories are, you know, a smell, a scent, a song, a song that someone wrote that's related to this person that brings me to these like different little branches back to a memory. And, um, and then I will get angry and then I would say, you can't be angry. And then I'll think of the person that I'm angry at and I'll tell myself, I just want to send them so much love and light because I can't have this cord between us and I need to release that. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not perfect and I get mad and I get angry and then I go in these cycles and I go, now I got to release it. And I had a, a friend of mine, I know she won't mind that I call her friend. Her name was Caroline. And she taught me all these breathing exercises in like 2000, probably 2017 to deep belly breathe, which learning to breathe properly is amazing. And it's so, you know, beneficial, you know, yeah. for your health and for your mind. And I've just been, if I can just say it, just breathing, just breathing yeah. through these feelings and these steps. And I think it just goes in cycles for me. And then I'll laugh and I'll have like, you know, I have a lot, I feel like, Honestly, it gave me, I think, a really good sense of humor. I have a lot of dark humor. So, you know, I, I think I deal with things with being, you know, humor a lot. And I'll, I'll laugh and then I'll be mad. And then and I will feel, I'll feel a little shame for being mad and angry, thinking I shouldn't. But I'm like, having anger is a natural thing. And it's okay. And I'm going to release myself from having that anger. And I'm just going to I heard a really interesting, uh, it was a saying, or maybe it was a meme that I saw on Instagram or something, but it said that anger is the part of us that knew we deserved better. And I loved that. It's given me a lot of, of healing in myself because I tend to shame myself for anger, you know, for having anger and, and try to move right to, oh, I'm going to send them love and light when really I want to punch something, you know? And um, I think it's important to to allow us the space to to have and process and metabolize the anger um, because it's a part, I mean, valid part of us. I think you're absolutely correct. So I just think that I'm caught in this cycle of being angry, then I'll get sad and then I might weep and release and then, you know, let it go. 
it's just this ongoing cycle. I think that's just where I am right now. And that's just interesting to that uh, what Carrie said about the part of you that deserves better, because that's, that's kind of the way my reflection of you is shaped as, you know, starting as, you know, a little girl and then moving towards adolescence is, oh, wow, this little girl deserves better. That's the way I, I thought of you even back then. I, um, yeah, I look back and I just, I just, now I'm, I'm able to digest some of it and think I was just a little girl. I wasn't, you know, all those things that were, were heavy, laid heavy on me, you know, and, you know, I was born in the seventies and the nineties and the born again Christian and all of it, you know, was intense. I mean, I went to church and I went to Christian school and church and youth group and Wednesday night service and Saturdays and in Christian camps and, and then Wednesday chapel at school. I mean, my whole life was church and the message that I got and unfortunately from a lot of the people and stuff around me, not Pastor Moore when I say this, is that um, I was bad. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was just bad and I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't worthy. And it's interesting to me because I feel this message a lot, like on social media from some conservative people, you know, and the way that I want to do for feeling so like not accepted for who just as I was, I just have this heart to accept everyone as they are addicts, you know, anybody, you know, anybody that's going through a hard time, homeless people, anything. I just want to love them. I just want them to know they're accepted with me. I want to look in their face and I want to smile. I want to be kind because I know what it feels like. See, now you're again, just all over again, reminded me of my sister Tootie, because that is her up and down. I mean, when there was this, not so much overt, but even in our own family and church life of heteronormativity, she was embracing LGBTQ people, um, she was welcome. Well, you know, honestly, all my sisters are kind of like this. I mean, we had this guy who wasn't, was an addict and, and this other guy who was a friend who was a seriously mentally ill and homeless and the kind of person that other people would walk by and not make eye contact. And he would be knocking on our door and my sisters would be welcoming him and finding him food. And, and so that kind of acceptance just reminds me so much, of, especially of Tootie. I just, um, I really do. I mean, I've never publicly, I don't know if this is considered publicly, I don't know, spoke about this. I mean, in small circles, maybe some kids that I actually yeah. went to school with, which is just one person. I mean, um, I've never you, really talked about it. You, then, mentioned, you mentioned Shannon earlier. Have you talked to Shannon at all? We've texted a little bit. Okay. Not, I mean, we haven't seen each other in honestly decades. Like we don't see each other. And it was just recent. And I think it was our mom's exchange in the last, you know, and just here and there and make silly, you know, 
Um, she, it was, I, I feel really bad, honestly, on her behalf too. I mean, she was just a kid and she was very inquisitive. And we felt like, you know, we can ask questions. I remember being in Bible study and in our school thing and, and they're talking about, you know, asking God into your heart. And she goes, well, what if you're dying and at the last minute you ask God into your heart, you get to go to heaven, but you did all this. And they would be like, I think they thought it as her being defiant, but I think that we were curious because like, yeah, I want to know, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it was just, you know, and it was just felt like you couldn't ask questions very, I don't know. It was, it was super intense. That school, when I think about it, was daunting and it was intense. There was, um, you what, know, there was some was, great, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what was the process of, realization and deconstruction like how did that start for you when you first started to question what you'd been taught at that school and the the experiences that you'd had at that school well um i don't know if we're gonna i was um there was i don't even know how to say this when i was under 10 years old i was molested by a youth pastor and it was in all of the papers in santa barbara but of course our names were put in it in the article because we were minors and I would never say the other persons that were involved because that's their story to tell, not mine. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the whole church turned on us and I, ha- I was pulled out of that school and we moved to Carpinteria because we were being, my everybody just felt like when the church turned on us and were saying that we were sinning because we were having a... Um, I don't know, a church mate or taking them to court. But, you know, the DA took the charges. Like There was nothing you could do at that point when you do something like that to a child. And I remember being like, the, we had to change our phone number. I remember being called a liar at like just a little kid in a Jezebel. This person admitted guilt. They, they pleaded guilty. And I remember the pastor of that church um, wrote a letter on his behalf asking for no jail time whatsoever. I have a copy of that letter. And I just felt so betrayed. And all these people were angry and they were mad again. And everything that they said, they Jesus, you know, all this stuff was nothing. Their actions never matched their words. So that was when it, a turning point. For me, looking like these people and the anger and trying to persuade my parents, my parents walking into court and everybody, people from the church on the person that did this to us on our side and nobody really with us. And being this like a man in his 30s and I'm eight and nine years old and it's my fault. So, you know, as a as a child, I one, one thing that I know um, that has been instrumental in my my own healing has been to remember not to judge myself from the adult perspective, not to judge the child aspect of myself from the adult perspective. Because often we we want to look at our five, nine, ten year old self and be like, well, why didn't you do this? You know, and then I have to go and look at a nine year old and say, well, what would I expect mm. of this nine year old? Right? Why did I do I expect more? You know, a more adult response from myself? Right. Um, so I'm curious to know, 
there is a very real valid response that you had as a 10 year old or a nine year old to everything that happened. How did, how does the adult you look back now and process all of this? And I think for years, I like compartmentalized it. And like I said, I think I just pushed it away until recently. And I look back and I'm, I get angry at some certain people, you know, that were very involved in that. And um, I've written them letters. I've never sent them. Mm. But, and usually like in my past, if I've written something and I, and I get it all out, it's gone. It's out of me. But these seem to stay, these letters in me. And I still get re-angry. And I, I'm just, I'm struggling. I, I struggle. Like, I think it's just always going to be a, a little bit of a cycle. I know that um, I'm very, very protective of the, I mean, my parents had to get restraining orders for the harassment. I'm very protective of the people that I love, like maybe overprotective. And um, I look back and I just, honestly, I just feel sad when I, when I really think about who I was, like I said, I just like stickers and I liked Amy Grant and I absolutely loved praise and worship. Music to me still to this day is so beautiful and so wonderful and it's so healing. It's one of my most favorite things is to sing. I mean, I I would never stand up and sing in front of people, but (laughs) to myself and music and different artists and and I really think like, so that's a positive thing to me. I feel like the church being the praise and worship and my love for music really was instilled there. So I try to look for the positives and I allow myself to feel sad for that little girl that I kind of feel in a way, because I don't want to be like victim, victim, but you know, a, a lot of my being a little girl was taken and robbed. You know, I had to kind of grow up fast and things that adults wanted to do were put on me. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. You mentioned, uh, you know, the therapeutic element in, in music and in, in worship. Um, We, we recently interviewed the person you would know as Gene James. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He's Mac James. He went to his formal name. That's Um, his dad's name, right? That's his dad's name. Yeah. Yeah. So we interviewed him and uh, I asked him if there was anything, what he remembered of me in that era, in that period. And he said, well, one of the things he said was, you know, playing the piano and, and just, uh, you know, leading everybody in that and singing. And, you know, he, okay. So like yourself, he was going through daily trauma during that period. And I, I don't know if you remember my kids, uh, Charity and David, um, they were younger than you. I do. I remember oh, okay. your daughter's hair. Huh? It was what? so amazing. Every day there were these styles and they were like, I don't know. I just remember the, like these, the way, I don't know the way you did that her hair. Yeah. Well, their mom did that. But, uh, <laughs> um, and I'm guessing like she was probably five years old. She was uh, little. She was tiny. So cute. Yeah. Yes. I remember. I remember. Okay. And she kind of like hopped when she walked. Like, 
Oh, yeah. like, right? Yes. Like there's something like she's when she was little. I don't way. know if she does that now, but I remember she's like still very vibrant. Um, like that as a forty-something. But anyway, our kids were in the school, and uh, I, I, t- you know, I took them out and put them in public school, and you know, to this day, charity will say, you know, I mean, I we watched our kids just transform into more more alive people being out of that environment and they still dealt with uh the anti-blackness that is you know so prevalent and 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 yet that um it was different and until i talked to to gene mac and and of course you now it never really hit home that there were other kids there still, still dealing with that. You know what I mean? I was just really so happy about my kids not being in that environment that I just really didn't think about it a whole lot because I felt like we had escaped. You know what I mean? I, does that make sense to you at all? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And then, you know, I do have a memory of it felt like the women, there were a lot of, there's moms there that did, got their teacher, you know, they were our teachers and, um, Maxine, Maxine, Maxine uh, yes. And she had such a mom vibe. And I remember her speaking up and trying to be heard, you know, but I don't know. And I remember her being over, you know, read on things, but her always trying to protect. And I mean, like, when I'm talking about this, like, I don't want to just sit there and say there was like no one, there was you, there was, you know, Maxine Dow that I really felt like, you know, mm. she was, she had her best interests and she was kind and protective, like a mom, you know, she was like a yeah. mom on campus. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but there was a principal there at the time. And I remember he took me up into his room and he said, it is for me for years. And he said, you know, Mickey, one day, because you're so rebellious, you're going to knock on my door and you're going to ask to scrub my toilets for a change. And that voice inside my head for years mm. would repeat that because wow. I was so rebellious. Mm. And it was, you know, that's the short of the piece. Were you rebellious? Were you rebellious or were you passionate? And were you vibrant and, and were you beautiful and curious and intelligent? I have no patience. I'm sorry. I just got triggered, but I have no patience for especially men telling women and girls that we are rebel, rebelling against who exactly when we lean into the fullness of our capacity. Uh, it made me think of, um, you made me think of a, conversation I was having with a white man who I was trying to explain about what it's like to be a woman and, you know, also about anti-racism, my anti-racism work. And he called, he told me, he told me that I was triggered. No, you don't, you don't get to explain my emotional experience to me. Thanks so Mm -hmm. much. And I said to him, I'm not triggered. I'm passionate and educated. And there's a really big difference. You know what I mean? And so I just, Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I have that. I really have, a, obviously, a very strong response to the idea oh. of any, any man love- saying, and, and what you said, what that man said to you was horribly abusive. Horribly abusive. Yes. Yeah, and he said that, and then I remember he would bring you up into his office and then just let you sit there for an hour to two hours, and you would just be there like, what did I do? And you're just in his office sitting in there. And it was like some kind of mind ninja thing or something. Because you'd be like... Not to mention you're not getting an education during those two hours. Yeah. Well, that was debatable at that score. <laughs> <you would understand>. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, the packets. And the, there wasn't any kind of... It wasn't a school where they got on the board and like gave you like... Showed you examples of things. They were just packets you did in a little cubicle. For eight hours oh. a day, you yeah. just sat in this cubicle. But Wednesdays, you got to have the, have partial day, but it was chapel, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, and then it was like, you know, a lot of misogyny. The boys would just, oh, the boys are boys and they're excitable. And I'm sorry he bounced a um, ball in your face, you know. But, you know, what were you doing before that made him do that? You know, it was oh, a Mickey, lot of stuff like I remember that. when... One of the boys called you the N-word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whoa. It's like, whoa. They didn't, that, I didn't, where did that come from? <laughs> you know? It was, yeah. I mean, I remember. And then, because your children, you know, are a person of color. I'm a person of color. Is that PC to say? I don't know how you wanted me to refer. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you get I'm, to refer to yourself however you wish to refer yeah. to yourself. I'm a person of color. <laughs> I feel. And um, I mean, how many was there? I mean, if we did a percentage, is it 0.1 that was? Maybe my two kids and you. Uh, and me. Uh, and me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it, it was interesting when the boys would get mad, stuff like that would come out of their mouth. Really misogynistic stuff. And then, you know, the, the principal, well, he just has a lot of, you know, this, you know, and, but, you know, we were always at fault. We were making them do it. We were doing this and therapy. It was just, you know. Did you know you were so powerful that you were able to just make all these people behave so horribly? <laughs> it was, it was incredible. incredible. Yeah, I, know. I mean, you know, wow. <laughs> That's the power. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it wasn't, it was just such an interesting time. I mean, when I look back and like, I don't know, but I mean, then I think back, has things really changed? There's a lot of people radicalized now. I uh, mean, I don't know if it's it's just in a different font. I don't know. Uh, or I'm looking at it different because I'm an adult. But I mean, it's still a lot of hate from people that say they love the Lord. Right. Yes. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.